On this episode, we discuss there being more unlimited movie plans, more Picard, but not the Picard you're thinking of, and allegedly there is confirmation that yes, Apple is indeed listening to you. We'll also discuss the Picard you were thinking of, the trailer, and I'll give my rundown on some creative ways that I did some phone roaming when I visited Merca. I'm David S. Dawson from the Intellectual Podcast, a show that spotlights creatives from all walks of life. Part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other incredibly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. This is the official GunnaGeek.com show. Here, we're a bunch of geeks talking about geeky things. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Steven. But what if I'm in the mood for a T-Swift story? Chris. I've heard the X is going to give it to you. And SP. That's how we roll on Gunna Geek on Monday night. We get crazy! Gunna Geek Productions presents the official GunnaGeek.com show. Welcome to one of the many iterations of 296 of the official GunnaGeek.com show. I am Stephen Jondra and I'm, I am pleased to say that we are back this week with Chris Farrell. That's right. We're back and we're better than ever. And if you tried to watch last week or you checked out our YouTube channel, you might have seen a few different versions of episode 296 because I had a complete tech failure last week and I'm surprised I'm back up and going this week. But yes, we are back. But unfortunately, uh, Stargate Pioneer is not here. And uh, I'll talk about that in a second. Why I say unfortunately, because it'll be a, a, a couple of weeks or a thing. But uh, we are pleased, though, to sh- say that the wonderful Michelle Ely is here this week. I'm I'm happy to be back. And because it's Monday, I really don't have anything clever to say. Michelle, <laughs> we are very, very happy to have you back. This is one of those things that uh, it's been far, far too long. I was looking back and it was like, God, like, I think it was November or, or December the last time we had you on here. So it has been way too long. I apologize. That is my fault. I should have had you come back on a lot sooner. Hey, that's all right. I'm always happy to you know, get the invite. Well, we are happy to have you on and I'm actually working on ways to hopefully be able to have four people on here again. It's been a long time since I've had that capability. Uh, and I, I want to because I want to have you on here more often. I miss having you on here. I like having you on here. I think you've always got great things to say about it. And also, I think that, uh, Sometimes we need people to keep us in line and you're one of the few people who can keep us in line. So thank you very much, Michelle. Yeah, that is true. (laughs) So why did I say, unfortunately, uh, SP's not here? Because we were trying last week to have a show and the tech failure happened because SP's got a bunch of stuff going on over the summer here. And so he was going to come on here and say, I'll be away for a few weeks. And it's not going to be until about mid-September that he'll be able to be back. So we are hoping that uh, the stars and moon and everything will align and that you end up uh, coming back to us SP mid-September like you were planned. But we know that uh, there's a lot of lakeside lounging and lakeside not lounging. Follow SP on Twitter if you want to hear all about that, where that you've got going on over the summer. And we look forward to your return, SP. Chris Farrell. 
I want to ask you this. Are you going to go ahead and hold down the fort without us? Because I'm going to also take several weeks off and you can just do this solo. How does that sound? Sure. Why not? <laughs> Challenge accepted. Prepare to lose all your subscribers. Perfect. Let's go ahead and on that note, move into the news. Well, if there's one thing that longtime listeners and viewers of the GuineaGeek.com show know, it's the fact that Chris Farrell is willing to throw his money at movies because he has been a longtime supporter of a service called MoviePass. He has said that it was the <laughs> wave of the future. He said that all movie subscription services were, were rock solid and that there was no flaw in the plan at all. Isn't that right, Chris Farrell? That's exactly right. But if you do think <laughs> back probably about, oh, I don't know, 60 episodes ago when we started talking about MoviePass that was starting up, which was a service that you paid $9.95 a month. And the original plan was you could watch as many movies as you wanted, as long as it was one per day, I think it was. There was also another service we mentioned briefly called Cinemia, which was very similar, but I think they capped you to like two or three movies a week. But we started talking a lot about these subscription movie plans. So instead of paying per time you go to the box office. It was more a thought of, I have a subscription. I pay once a month and I go to the box office and see as many or as few movies as I want. And one of the things we talked about with MoviePass first came out was, I don't know how long this is going to be sustainable. We were right. But part of why we said we didn't know if it would be sustainable is we said, you know, what happens if the big theater chains decide to go, you know, these guys are eating our lunch with the subscription service why don't we just start our own? And so it was probably about six, nine months back or so. We know that AMC rolled out their Stubbs A-list program. And the real question was, what other big movie theater change is going to come out next is going to say, hey, we want in on this subscription plan. And it had been rumored for about the past week and a half, two weeks heavily, that Regal Cinemas was going to drop an unlimited movie plan. They, in fact, accidentally posted a bunch of stuff to their website and started putting out tweets advertising the service before it officially happened. And I'd been kind of trolling the Reddit threads trying to find out. And as of today, as we record this, July 29th, 2019, in the United States of America, Regal has launched their unlimited movie plan. So what does the unlimited movie plan do for you? Let's go through and we're gonna, we're gonna read what the description is off of their website. They say, with an unlimited subscription, you can watch as many movies as you want, as many times as you want, whenever you want, wherever you want. Plus, get advanced tickets as soon as they go on sale. Enjoy 10% off all food and non-alcoholic beverages in theaters. Plus, enjoy Regal Crown Club benefits. In addition to that, here was the fine text. A surcharge of $1.50 to $3 per ticket applies at theaters not included in your plan. Surcharges apply for Screen X, 4DX, IMAX, RPX, 3D, and VIP, as well as premium seating other than recliners. Some foreign language movies and special movie events may be excluded or subject to surcharge. So what happens here? You pay your monthly subscription, you basically go and consume as many of the 2D movies as you want for one flat fee. Here's where things get a little tricky. Now the AMC Stubbs list, Stubbs A-list program is effectively pay 20 bucks a month, you can see three movies a week. That includes IMAX, Dolby Cinema, 10% off food and drink. Regal's plan is a bit more confusing. There's three tiers to their subscription plan. And if you're lucky, you're in the lowest tier, which is $18 a month plus tax. It's about 200 screens 
in the Regal Network that you qualify for here to be able to go and see as many movies as you want using this program. You can look up the theaters online and see where what the uh, tier level of your movie theater is regionally. Next up is the Regal Unlimited Plus, which is about 400 screens, and that's $21 a month. And then for $23.50 a month, Regal Unlimited All Access, which is basically every theater. So why did they tier this out? Because when you get to the bigger cities, like say New York or Orlando and things like that, they have the much, much fancier theaters there that have like super 4DX recliner seats. They'll deliver food to you. They're crazy, the uh, size they are. And when you start thinking about movie prices regionally, they tend to be a bit higher in these areas around bigger cities. Whereas you talk about someone like me who lives in Morgantown, West Virginia, which is a college town. We don't really have as big a draw to movies. They're not as expensive, things like that. So that's how they've split things out. And I am kind of happy to say I'm in the $18 a month tier if I decide to sign up for this service. But it is one of the drawbacks. There's some other things to be aware of with the service as they come out. This is not new for the company that owns Regal. I cannot remember their name and I forgot to put it in my notes, but they are based out of the United Kingdom, the company that acquired them, and they've had unlimited tickets at a variety of their screens in the United Kingdom for years now. Like I mentioned, this is a United States only service. I don't believe I had mentioned this, but if you want to purchase tickets in advance via their app, there is a 50 cent surcharge for each ticket. Bear in mind, you don't have to pay that surcharge if you just go to the ticket office or you go to one of their kiosks inside. There is no 50 cent upcharge. I mentioned earlier there's an upcharge for premium formats. So if you want to go see an IMAX version of a movie, there will be an upcharge. It doesn't say on their terms and conditions. The Reddit threads seem to say it was about a $3.50 upcharge to go see an IMAX movie. So you'll just have to see how that works out. If you're familiar with some of the things they do at theaters right now, there's things called Fathom Events where they do special one night only events. Sometimes it's airing a special episode of Doctor Who or Star Trek or going back and saying, hey, it's the 25th anniversary of The Big Lebowski. We're going to do a screening of that. None of these plans work for that. You can't use AMC's plan. You can't use Regal's plan. And technically, you couldn't use MoviePass when it was still active for it as either. Active for it either. Excuse me. Uh, two other things you need to be aware of if you decide to sign up for the Regal plan. They require you upload a photo of yourself when you sign up so they can confirm your ID. Why do they do that? So that you just can't give someone your login credentials and say, hey, I'm Chris Farrell. I want my movie. Because when they scan their tickets and they scan the QR code that's on the app, it's going to bring up your picture and put it side by side. So they'll be able to tell if you're who you say you are. So the final thing you really need to be aware of if you're going to sign up for this service is they do require a year's commitment. They will give you the option of paying a year's flat fee up front, or they'll break it out over 12 months for you and bill you. However, until you hit that 12-month mark, you cannot cancel your plan. If you cancel, they will send you to collections. They will get the money they say they are owed. You are basically signing a contract saying, I am going to sign up for a year of this service. That is different than some of the other services you've seen out there. When I was with MoviePass, I think you could cancel anytime you wanted, but there was like a three-month window where you couldn't sign back up or something like that. And I don't 100% know the cancellation plan for AMC's service. But again, if you're going to do a year of it, you're fine. Just be aware you have to pay that year. After that, it becomes month to month and you can cancel whenever you want. So I've rattled off a bunch of details, a bunch of information like that, all about this service. The real question, though, is, is did MoviePass and Cinemia kind of have things right? Did they die to give us subscription movies, albeit slightly more expensive than their plans were? It sure seems like it. And 
it is still at a point right now, if you see more than two movies a month, these subscription plans kind of make sense. And they kind of also give you the chance to go and say, hey, I wouldn't normally go watch this movie, but since I have a subscription, I'm going to go see Stuber this weekend. And I don't have to feel bad if it sucks that I paid 20 bucks of my own money. I haven't seen it yet. I want to potentially sign up and use it for this. I think there's still a very steep hill for them to climb up. I think that anything like this, you need the volume. And I'm not sure with the history of Cinemia and, and MoviePass and whatever else, that there's a lot of confidence in the market right now, even when it is a individual chain like this. I think that we have a very, very long way to go. And unless there can just be a breakout, um, just standout subscription service that can just fly off the shelves, I think that it's destined for failure. The signing up for a year, that's a bit much. And for me, that would be a turnoff. I don't have Regal in my area. I only have AMC. I don't see an, um, that many movies out, though I don't do a subscription service. Because for me, I, I feel like that would be wasting money. But it's like everything's a subscription service now, almost. And I think it's going to get to a point to where, like, also, what about movie studios? Mm. What are they going to have to say? Because think about it. If you can see what AMC is, what, three movies a week, right? For $20 a month, something like that. Correct. And no upcharge for premium formats. Right. So if you see three a week, that's 12 a month for $20. That's less than $2 a ticket. And they're really betting on people buying food and stuff because that's really where um, movie theaters actually make their money is through concessions because they actually have to pay studios money in order to have the movie there. It's really weird and, and complicated and legal. That's why candy is like five dollars a box or whatever yep like, that's true like is it actually going to bring in enough to cover the cost and it, i don't i don't really think so it's i agree I don't think it's going to work no i totally agree and i think i i've said this before i think you have to look at like from a retail perspective the costco model right the costco model is is they sell everything barely above cost with the concept of mass volume purchase, you know, giving a discount and also, of course, um, you know, the volume of sales sort of thing. And if they were to all of a sudden get this big influx of business because the model worked, the studios would probably bend a little bit and work with that because they'd be like, holy cow, this is an opportunity to really bring people back to the theaters. But you're not seeing that yet. Even with it being limited to Regal, you're you're seeing people go, people are going to be in the situation that some of our chat room is talking about right now, is that, is there a theater from Regal near me? And uh, it, what happens if I move? And there's all of these other questions, and I think there's just too many roadblocks at this point. But There is we'll fine see. print in there if you move where there are no theaters. You, it's an out clause. You just have to give them evidence of that, be it here's a new build, this new address, something like that. Because that is one of the things that actually came up on the Regal Unlimited Reddit thread uh, that I've been following is a lot of people have been asking questions on the logistics in between the moderators there and reaching out to the support staff. They've kind of started to flesh things out fully. Remember, we're also talking about a chain that has 600 screens in the, in the United States. They've got a bunch. And they're also owned by a company in the UK that has been doing 
unlimited screenings there for years. I want to say about five years, but I cannot actually find the actual numbers. I'm still trying to find that. And I think there's also the question of um, what exactly are they going to count as not in my area? Suncast is actually bringing that up in our chat because like there are people who only want to go within 10 kilometers and that that's their comfort zone. And they're going to be like, well, sorry, 20 minutes away, 30 minutes away. There's another theater and people are going to be like, well, no, I don't I don't go that way. I don't go that way for A, B and C. And they'll be like, too bad. That's uh, that's too far or that's close enough. But we'll see. I, I'd like to see something like this succeed. I really would. Only because of the fact that I would like to find something that could make multiple movies more affordable. Uh, right now, it's just not affordable for a lot of people out there. And I'd like to see something like that happen. Moving on to our next news point here. We're going to talk a little bit about Apple. Yes, there is information on the Apple privacy front. Say what? Apple has always emphasized privacy on their iOS devices. This has been a very big selling point. And among all of the different privacy concerns that we've had, people have often cited Apple iPhones, iPads and stuff as being a little bit more private. Well, here's the thing is it was leaked this week that apparently there is indeed audio conversations and other chatter happening through Siri. For those of you not familiar, Siri is the voice assistant tool on the Apple iPhone, which, of course, does need to have some form of listening because you're able to say, hey, Siri, I think it is to activate it. And if you don't have that sort of always listening option, then there's no way to voice activate Siri. And a article on The Guardian, there was a whistleblower contractor that said, there is certain contracted companies that do work to refine the quality of Siri, kind of like how we've heard through Google and Amazon before. And what they do is they listen to about 1% of Siri activations that come on that are often only a few seconds each to sort of see what exactly Siri is doing and help refine that quality control. The whistleblower claims that Apple doesn't do much vetting into who is contracted and that there is quite a bit of data that they could potentially look for. Apparently, some of these recordings that have been monitored by actual human beings include private discussions between doctors and patients, business deals, some possible criminal dealings and sexual encounters, of course. So, yes, people are listening, allegedly, through, through the Siri recorded conversations, similar to how we have heard this coming out of Google and Amazon. If you haven't been following that, there has been a lot of people who have been up in arms about, oh, Amazon's always recording everything I say. Oh, Google's always recording everything I say. And they've both been in a lot of hot water, which is why I wanted to bring this up, because truthfully, I think it's a fair assessment for people to think that there is a little bit more privacy with the way that iOS is designed versus the way that Android is designed. But I want to highlight this article because it just goes to show those of you who are complaining that Facebook's always listening or that Google's always listening or that I don't want to get one of those Amazon Echoes because people are always listening. Look at your phone and, and, and if it's got Siri on it, someone could potentially always be listening. So this is an article that is unsubstantiated at this point, but it was posted on The Guardian. And 
let's be honest, from a tech perspective, they want to refine Siri so it makes sense. How many science fiction movies have there been about this? I'm not <laughs> saying that this is okay. I'm not saying that, you know, all the devices, you know, no one should be recording your private conversations. But this is new technology. Of course, there's going to be hiccups. And we should know this because of all the movie and TV shows have warned us about it. I, for one, do bow down to our robot overlords. I do. This shouldn't surprise anyone. It's the fine print that's in all of the terms of service saying, I want to use these digital assistants and voice recognition tools that they can use them to be able to train other things. And there are always false triggers. They get better and better about it. But I like to think where, when I first had my Amazon voice services devices, whenever there was a commercial, it would trigger. We talked about it on this show that someone ordered a dollhouse by accident because of what a commercial said to them. Then Amazon rolled out an improvement that said, hey, if it plays this tone in the background, then Amazon voice services device knows not to pick up things like that. There's always tweaks and enhancements going on. This should surprise no one. It's the nature of getting involved in this kind of thing. If it worries you, don't have the digital assistance, disable Siri or whatever voice assistance you have on your devices. And you'll probably be able to shut most of it down. Whether you can shut it all down. I don't know. I've never honestly explored that because I've kind of accepted that, you know, I'm willing to trade the bits of inconvenience here and there, or the perception that I might lose a little bit of my privacy for what these tools have offered me. And honestly, if someone hears me cursing because my football team is losing in Apple headquarters, so all I got to say is that for some people, the quote in there about sexual encounters and people listening, it actually is going to make their bedroom life a whole lot steamier. Some people like that. (laughs) <laughs> you need it to light up red when it hears you or something like that we are listening you know there is things though to consider um when you are placing these devices because you kind of want to know whether they are falsely lighting up like obviously with your phone generally it's in your pocket it's harder to see that uh especially when they shut down right away and whatnot but i think when you look at it it's actually one of the reasons that i i went with amazon as opposed to google because right now the google home lights on there are on the top and a lot of my placements that I've got, I wouldn't see those lights come up. Uh, but I I do like the ring on the Amazon devices, but it's definitely worth considering. If you can see a light up, at least you'll know that it's a false trigger, but it's obviously information going somewhere. So I wanted to mention this right now because I think it is important people are aware that yes, that phone in your pocket is possibly doing this same thing. Moving on to the next news point here, we've got more Picard, but not the Picard that you're thinking about. Yes, CBS Home Entertainment has announced that there is going to be a Star Trek Picard movie and TV collection on Blu-ray, a six-disc set that will include all four Star Trek, the Next Generation movies, and two feature-linked TV episodes, and this will be releasing October 15th. More specifically... The set encompasses Generations, First Contact, Insurrection, and Nemesis, as well as a pair of Next Generation's finest, most memorable two-parters, The Best of Both Worlds, and Chain of Command, reconfigured to play seamlessly like movies. Also included will be an exclusive 16-page Star Trek comic book from IDW Publishing, Star Trek Picard movie and TV collection, in addition to the movies and feature-linked episodes, will be loaded with more than 10 hours of previously released special features, 
fans can expect commentaries, behind the scenes and character actor featurettes, gag reels, deleted scenes, episode promos, and more. The U.S. release of Star Trek Picard movie and TV collection on October 15th will be followed by releases on October 21st in the U.K., October 23rd in Australia, and November 7th in Germany. Star Trek Picard, the show, will stream exclusively on CBS All Access in the United States, on Amazon Prime Video in more than 200 countries and territories, and in Canada on Bell Media Space and OTT service Crave. Crave is uh, essentially a, uh, a trying to be Netflix in Canada. <laughs> uh, you know, it's actually, they've been making pretty good uh, progress, I have to say. Like, they're one of, the, I think they're the only ones in Canada that you can subscribe only to HBO. Like, because HBO doesn't direct sell it up here. But you can actually, if you subscribe to Crave, you can, so you have to have Crave, but you can add on HBO. So otherwise, to get any HBO online up here in Canada, I think you have to have a cable package. So they are making progress, but they're not obviously an international name yet. <laughs> I'm really shocked you can't do HBO now in Canada. Yeah, as far as I know. Wow. Yeah, and as far as I know, you can't. There's there's a lot of things because the whole licensing thing, right? Because it's different international licensing. That's always what it comes down to. So this is exciting, though, because obviously we all like Picard and we all like more opportunity to get Picard stuff. But I have a question on this. So this is obviously covering certain uh, highlights from TNG and whatnot. But isn't TNG still like easily streamable at full quality on other streaming services? Or am I wrong on that? You are correct. Okay. This is obviously a cash grab because <laughs> of a certain TV show called Star Trek Picard that's coming up. Uh, this is supposed to be, they're av actually advertising it as a primer on John Luke Picard in case you've missed all those episodes and you haven't been able to read any article or wiki thing about Star Trek The Next Generation at all. And you absolutely you know, need that information. They've got this for you. You know what I wish that I had? I wish that I still had my VHS copy of Generations. I had that for a while. Or did you wish you had four lights? <laughs> In all seriousness, though, I mean, I don't think we're the target audience for this. We're the folks that have seen it multiple times and go, wait a second. I can just pull this up on Hulu or Netflix or CBS All Access and rewatch this content. It may not be cut to look like a movie, but it's a two-part episode that's basically airing back to back. And in fact, I think they've already released Best of Both Worlds cut to be a movie before when they did their uh, their experiment to see whether they could do the Blu-ray upscaling for TNG when they released what was it, a Blu-ray disc that had like top eight episodes of TNG on it or something like that. Because I think I got that when I donated to the uh, Enterprise Bridge Kickstarter, uh, not rehabilitation, but renovation or whatever. Restoration. That's the word I'm looking for. I know English. <laughs> so they've done some of this stuff for. I think it's cool. It's interesting to see them try and get people more interested or find this tool to be like, hey, you're a younger fan who might only have a passing knowledge of TNG, but you like Patrick Stewart, so you're curious in seeing this. Here, watch this DVD box set and in eight movie and eight episodes slash movies of whatever, you're prepped and ready to go for Picard. Now, me as the Star Trek snobby fan I am would argue there's a lot more nuance to Jean-Luc Picard than you get in this very brief cut of his career, <laughs> but it's still interesting. And I, I realize. I came across as a snobbish entitled fan right there. 
Well, in the chat, we have former guest of uh, the show, Bite Frey, saying anyone younger than 30 knows this about Picard. He's that bald guy from those old memes. (laughs) Story checks out. Story checks out. If you notice, there's like a theme within what's being released, and that is Picard's interaction with the Borg Mm -hmm. and his time as Locutus. And I think that's intentional considering, I know we're going to talk about the trailer what we saw in the trailer. Let's just go on to that right now. Moving on to our extra, extra section here. Yes, we're going to take a little bit of time here to talk about Picard. And this will probably be a little longer episode because I got a little segment myself to do. Um, But Picard, there is a trailer that came out a couple weeks ago. We wanted to talk about this last week. However, uh, everything failed last week, so we couldn't. Yes, there was a final, not a final trailer, but finally there was a full trailer that was more than a Viagra commercial coming out for Picard (laughs) and it is leaving a lot to the imagination. There's definitely some story happening. There's some focus on Borg going on and we don't know. We're left with a lot of questions and I heard a lot of people saying, oh, they shouldn't have released this because it leaves more questions than it answers. But that is a successful first trailer. In my opinion, I'm sick of the trailers giving away everything. And teasing us with all of these questions is so good, especially for something that has been shelved for so long, which is this iteration of Star Trek, because this is the first real iteration of Star Trek that is is primarily focusing around the future of what Voyager left us with. Right. And this is so cool to see um, and, and have all of these questions about what has happened. And so I'm really, really excited to see what comes from Picard. It's giving me far more confidence in Picard because there was much more of a coherent trailer than I would have anticipated given they only really signed the showrunner a couple weeks ago. There is that. Uh, It's interesting. I kind of like where they're going with it. And for those that are like, oh, they gave everything away. They've only filmed like four episodes so far. So this trailer is cut out of content from like four episodes because Patrick Stewart was talking about the fact we've got to go back and film more. In fact, I'm filming stuff next week with Jonathan Frakes. So they name dropped the fact that Riker's at least showing up in some capacity. Then Jonathan Frakes confirmed it on Twitter and said, yeah, it's not really military either. So everyone's going, ooh, I want to see what happened with all these characters I love. And they've done a good job of teasing the potential of future things. This trailer dropped people in there I did not expect to see. And I'll let others pick that stuff up. But I looked at it when I first saw it. Wait, what? And it totally makes me think they're going the Borg route based off of who was shown in this trailer and also who was on the panel at Comic-Con. So we're going to get into trailer spoilers here. Uh, There was, by the way, this is your opportunity to pause if that's the case that you don't want to hear them. Mm -hmm. Um, There was seven of nine in the trailer, which was pretty awesome. Uh, And she has a personality. It was fantastic. And there was also data or before or something, but it's we data. have data. I was going to say we confirmed we have. Okay, I believe we also have before. I think that I think the drawer is before. I think the drawer is before. Uh, there's a scene where you see some form of data or before or something in a drawer and disassembled. And I think that that, that is before. And I think that at the very very end, so the trailer goes through. You're left with all these questions, and you get to the very end of the trailer, and all of a sudden, there seems to be data talking to Picard and he's in some form of suspicious white room. So what is it? What is it? We don't know. 
And I think that I think what it is is that there's some form of data interaction, whether it is hollow, whether it is dream, whether it is something. Brent Spiner has come out and said that that was him as data. He has confirmed that that was him as data. Now, that in itself is that true data? Is there somehow data back? Is that data in a holodeck? Is that data in a dream? All of those are still valid. He is playing data, but I do think that drawer, I think drawer was before. I, I was really, really excited to see what they've got there. Um, they also have confirmed the return, I believe, of none other than Troy. And uh, what was Troy's man? I forget what his name was. Uh, I don't remember. Oh, well, hold on. I, I need to do the Riker maneuver before I remember his name. Yeah, fair enough. They did also <laughs> confirm at Comic-Con. And however, he did not appear in the trailer. But uh, let me check the author, the actor's name real quick. Jonathan Del Arco who you last saw as Hugh the Borg and I want to say 1995 is coming back and reprising his role as Hugh the Borg. So he hasn't done the role since 1995 and he's coming back in some capacity as Hugh. So again, you're going, oh, the Borg are involved. Jerry Ryan shows up as seven. We've got Hugh the Borg. There's a Borg cube that's got blue highlights instead of green that shows up with a sign that says X days since last assimilation. Something is going on with the Borg. Okay, so I want to get Michelle's take in here, but did you notice with the cube, if you look at the side, there's actually green. There, There is partial green on that yes, cube. but so, it is mostly blue for some yeah. reason. So the question is, what are they doing? Are they trying to, for lack of a better term, mine technology out of it? I don't know. And this is how they executed this trailer well, is it's a bunch of fans going, ooh, what does this mean? And we're scratching our heads and throwing theories back and forth versus... Some of the other stuff we've had come out where she's like, I hate this, blah, blah, blah. And fans hating things. I'm, I'm intrigued. Michelle, what's your thoughts? I think it makes sense that it's connected to the Borg. That was such a huge moment for Picard and how it was treated in previous, in following seasons and, of course, the movies. There is that idea of this girl trying to protect her and they keep saying like what she is or something. Part of me, it's like, I don't know if I'm hoping. So Nemesis dealt with a clone of Picard who was younger. So part of me is like, I don't know if I want her to be some sort of weird offspring of like clone Picard with Borg queen sort of you know offspring sort of something like that because apparently she's supposed to be very special and no one's supposed to be like that I, I I think that would be very interesting I don't know I think there's worth considering the Voyager part where they have the whole arc about the Borg maturation chambers and I think the reason why that's in Important to remember is because that shows that the Borg at some point were being weird with offspring, not offspring, but like, you know, with with babies and things like that, right? Like, you know, traditionally you for a long time thought, okay, Borg walks up to adult, assimilates adult. That's how they get more Borg, right? But then the maturation chambers bring in a whole other infant element and who knows what's sort of an offspring of what that logic was. And so I think that there is the possibility like if the queen was supposed to be the ultimate female of 
Borg, or the ultimate part of, of the Borg, I should say, not even female, and Locutus was supposed to be her mate. I think they even, don't they even refer to that at some point? I think they might even say her mate or something like that. Uh, then if the two of them were supposed to be together, then if you are trying to evolve the Borg and you're, you're doing other weird things like we've seen, uh, then maybe they do some form of DNA splicing, right? Because, you know, she doesn't have the parts as far as I know, so I don't think you got anything freaky deaky going on, but I think you might have your own Borg breeding of some form, uh, potentially with the idea behind that. And let's be honest, it's the Borg with the technology they have. He was assimilated once. They have access to the whole DNA of him. Like there's, there's all sorts of ways they could have without his awareness utilize that idea. With that said, if I, if I was somebody who was a betting man, I would go, okay, this revolves around the Borg. I kind of sort of want it to be throwing us off and it being a critical part to the puzzle, but it's not the overall plot. I think Borg is part of the picture. I think we need to remember also the fact that this takes place after Star Trek, the Abrams reboot, which part of which took place in our continuity where Romulus is destroyed by the red matter. So we're talking about a world now where the Romulan empire is shattered, their home world gone, they're split into multiple factions. And I think some of what you could be looking at here is remnants of the Romulan Empire that are trying to appropriate Borg technology. And the bigger story is about the Romulans and what plans they may have going on to try and regain their place using Borg technology. And they may not be as big a role as we expect. All I know out of this series is it's got me intrigued. I want to see more. And if I could fan cast a moment or fan write a moment that would be in this, I would love to have John Delancey come back as Q and just have him and Picard sitting across the table from each other, having a conversation of something effective. Where did it all go wrong, Jean-Luc? Where did it all go wrong? And kind of getting that relationship between those two characters again. And maybe just maybe they share a bottle of Chateau Picard wine while they're talking about it. Can we get a Avery Book Brooks cameo and he comes in and punches Q again? Because that's like the highlight of all Q. He's still in the wormhole, though, isn't he? We don't know. It's been many, many years. He might not be in the wormhole anymore. That's true. They could have brought him out. They did in the books, which are no, not canon with this. But remember, TNG, he basically became a wormhole alien. That's true. Spoiler alert for a show <laughs> that's been off the air since 1998. <laughs> if you do consider Deep Space Nine, uh, you know, the captain manufactured evidence in order to bring the Romulans into the war. So the Romulans do have reasons to be upset at the Federation. That's assuming they found out about it. They might, they might not know. It might be a... Someone might not ever have brought it up. <laughs> I, I have to say, though, I do think that that episode is one of, like, one of the standouts from all of Star Trek. Uh, because it's, like, it's very... It's very real in a lot of ways, right? Like, I, I really like that episode, even though it goes against everything that Star Trek really stands for. I think that it is a very, very, very important episode to highlight the true nature of where society stands, you know, galactically uh, with Star Trek. Because so often the roots of Star Trek, you think society all falls in line with sort of the overall Federation uh, movement. but I think DS9 and that episode specifically shows that, no, that's not, that's not the case. That's not the case. And early Star Trek was maybe best wishes Star Trek. So it's, I, I like that episode. There's a difference between Roddenberry Trek and Ron Moore Trek, for lack of a better term. Yes, that's true. 
All right, well, let's go ahead and move on to a segment where I'm going to talk about my time to mark. Yes, a week or two ago, I ended up going to Marka. My wife and I decided we were going to go away for a weekend to celebrate an anniversary, and we thought it would be fun to go to your fair country, Michelle and Chris, and go to Marka. Now, I know Chris tried really, really hard to get me not to come to Marka. He called all sorts of border services, but somehow I still got through. Ice wasn't taking my calls. (laughs) Uh, Before I continue, though, I do feel like I should probably get a little bit patriotic because you know this. You end up going somewhere. You go somewhere and you're like, I got to go ahead and get a souvenir from there. And so I made sure to do that. And so let's go ahead and reach down here for a minute. And I got myself a couple of flags here that I'll go ahead and put up as I talk about my trip to America. We'll try to find a spot to put them in and get that there. and. See, can I fit that one in there? There we go. And uh, just to top it all off, too, uh, I got to go ahead and, uh, you know, represent. I got I got the USA hat. Now, am I am I suitable now to talk about my trip to the United States of America? Am, am I good now? Where's your Budweiser? Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to go to the States. And obviously, if you're going to travel to another country, because contrary to our close proximity, the U.S. and Canada are different countries. That meant that I was going to run into something that we all love called roaming. Yes, if you've not had a chance to visit another country, when you leave your country, usually you get some form of international charges called roaming fees. And the way that I wanted to go ahead... Okay, before I continue, in the chat, Suncast is asking if this stuff was bought in the USA or Canada. For the audio listeners, I've got a couple of flags, one of which is falling over right now, and a USA hat. They were indeed bought at a Rite Aid, a Rite Aid in in Marca. So there you go. What does the tag on the inside say? Made in China? (laughs) I'm not going to look. I'm not going to (laughs) look. However, what I was saying was that there you if you do travel internationally, you end up getting roaming charges. So I called my plan and I was like, I want to go ahead and go to the States. What exactly can I do? And they said, well, your included amount of roaming data is about 10 minutes and 30 megabytes. And that is not very much data. It's like a couple of emails from Chris. He sends me daily sexy pics. Uh, And uh, 10 minutes, well, Chris and I have very, very, very long evening phone calls. So that was not going to work for me. So what were some options that were available for me? Well, first off, I looked on my carrier's website and I'm like, cool, there looks like there's an $8 a day plan Essentially, you add that and you use your phone just like you would, but internationally. And unfortunately, because I'm on a special plan, I could not get that $8 a day option. Instead, I was offered $60 per line. So $60 for me, $60 for my wife. And it would give me basically 30 days worth of data, which was now up to 300 megabytes of data and 300 minutes. Still not that much. So for $120, I was essentially getting 600 megs of data and 600 minutes of calling. I'll be honest, the calling, not that part, much important, the data was. 
Given that we were planning on depending on our phone for real-time mapping, we were driving a couple of states away and also for wanting to possibly video with our kids and things like that because they were staying with my mom and my stepdad. We wanted to make sure we had a suitable amount of data. So I looked and the other option I could have done was could have paid $5 per megabyte of data or $1.50 per minute, which again, not a feasible option. So what I thought I would do instead would be to dig out my Moto X and look to buy a SIM card that could give me some more US specific calling and data options. Now, because I didn't want to lose our Canadian phone numbers, that's why I thought I would dig out my old Moto X phone and use that as essentially our US phone. I really didn't want to end up having to uh, put that SIM card into our individual phones and not have those on us. Plus, I really like the idea of us continuing to both have a phone if there was an emergency because I would have paid that roaming fee if all of a sudden there was an emergency and we had to call from our actual lines. I didn't want us just to have one phone and one of us be without a phone at some point or another. So what I ended up doing was I had a look and I thought, I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll find an option that's going to allow me to do a hotspot so that we could have this phone in between us and both connect into it through Wi-Fi. I hadn't had the chance to use this option before, but I ended up reaching out to Chris Farrell, who did give me some information that I'll talk about on in a little minute, but he gave me some, some confidence in the idea that I could run my Moto X just between us, in the car, in my pocket or whatever, and have us both connect onto it using our Canadian phones to connect Wi-Fi to the option that I ended up picking for the uh, Moto X USA phone. Now, I ended up looking at some of the carrier options and I did find you know, there was a couple of carriers in the States that I could find some travel options, but I found a list online that was only a couple years old and it lists a whole bunch of different options available to Canadians who were trying to go down to the States. And a lot of them seem to have pulled back the reins a little bit because some of those options weren't as easily available. Uh, as it as it initially appeared on those websites. One of the biggest challenge, though, with the idea of using a U.S. carrier in order to uh, go into my Moto X was that I would have to make a stop along the way. As soon as I got to your side of the border, I would have had to stop to buy one of these these SIM cards from whoever it was Verizon or AT&T or whoever it was. I would have had to stop during my travel. I didn't really want to do that. So I looked and there was a service that did cater towards Canadians that I remembered called Roam Mobility. And I know some people who have used this before. The idea being that they're meant for people who are going from Canada to the States or internationally, and they can buy the SIM card on the Canadian side of things and it starts working when you are in foreign territory. And one of the plans that they offered was a five buck a day plan. So $4.95 Canadian per day, which gave me 512 megabytes of data, LTE data per day, plus unlimited global calling and unlimited global texting. So this seemed like a really affordable way, considering my previous option was $120. So being I was only gone for a few days, five bucks a day seemed to make sense. Now, the thing is, even if I was to run out of data, I would end up just being throttled back to 2G speeds, which would be slow, 
but it's better than no data because 2G data is better than no data. So it seemed like a really feasible option and I could buy that SIM card here and not have to stop as soon as we go wait through the border wait and end up uh, getting to that side. So I looked and it was readily available all over the place. Uh, it looks like Rome Mobility is the name of the company seems to do pretty good because there were several different options that I could buy the SIM card for. Setup was super easy and it was nice going south of the border knowing that I would end up having service as soon as I got there. I did have to do a little bit of testing as I was along the way just to see what the service was like and I'll talk about that in a second. Overall though, I wanted to talk about the concept of traveling with one phone that acts as a hotspot for two other phones. My wife uses an iPhone, I use a Pixel 2. So I set up that hotspot on my Moto X. I went through and I configured the Wi-Fi login before I left because again, I didn't want to screw with this on the road. And when I got just south of the border and stopped for some gas, yes, I stopped for gas after my trip started because honestly, gas prices are way cheaper down there. So I made sure that I was going to save a couple of dollars and stop. And, and I mean, support the U.S. economy. That's why I did it. That's entirely why I did it was I stopped to support the U.S. economy. Thank you. <laughs> we thank you. So I stopped and I turned that on. And I have to say, Chris Farrell had me worried because he was very honest. He was very transparent. He said, every time um, I'll, I'll say wife, like it's your wife now. But at the time, I don't mm -hmm. think it was your wife. I think uh, I think your wife hasn't hotspotted in a little while, you said. So I think her previous encounter with hotspotting was pre-wife, wasn't that? No, it was post-wife. Oh, it was post-wife. Okay. So then Chris Farrell's wife said, had given the heads up that sometimes battery does drain quite quickly doing the hotspot. And so what I did was I brought an inverter for my car that I could have the proper charger, not just like a low USB charge that the cars often have. I ended up bringing my inverter where I could plug in the proper charger uh, for the Moto X to make sure that the battery was fully working and that I wasn't ending up losing my hotspot part way. Well, it was solid the whole time. And uh, I ended up the, our eight hour drive. It ended up being a little over eight hours ended up being totally fine and worked great with our phones both hooked up to that Moto X in a hotspot type fashion. Now, the thing that I want to highlight right now is our trip was not supposed to be eight hours, but traffic was insane from, I don't know, 45 minutes, hour north of Seattle, about an hour after Seattle. Like it was insane. It was absolutely insane how, how bad it was. But what ended up happening was because we took longer than we were planning, we ended up FaceTiming my kids while we were on the road and the quality was great and it was super convenient for my wife because instead of having to try to, you know, pull up an alternative like Skype or say, okay, we need you to try to FaceTime us on this US number because she was hotspot to that Moto X, it was easy peasy and she just got a FaceTime regularly through um, through her regular number, because again, she's acting as Wi-Fi connected to the Moto X. I ended up uh, over the course of the few days walking around with this in my pocket. And while it was a little bit convenient at first because of the small factor, small form factor of the Moto X, it wasn't a big deal overall. I just had to make sure to get in used to as soon as we left the hotel, turning on the phone and enabling the hotspot because it doesn't enable by default. And as we walked around, it was barely noticeable in my pocket. 
and we're both able to keep using our phones. Now, here's the thing that I want to mention. During that trip, we both had our phones for eight hours connected by Wi-Fi to the Moto X. So when I got down there, I ended up looking and finding what my balance was, how much data I used during that eight to nine hours or whatever it was. And in that eight to nine hours, we used 600 megs of data. And I was like, wait a minute. I'm still on LTE and I only get like 500 megs of data. Why, why am I at like 600 megs? I don't get that. And then I discovered that luckily the service that I used actually pooled it. So because I said I was subscribing to four days worth of the service, they just pooled all that data together, which meant that I can, remained on LTE, which was a nice benefit and nice perk that I found because I didn't throttle back. It would have only been if I went through, you know, uh, two gigs worth of data. But why I wanted to highlight that was because if you're going to use this, uh, you might want to keep in mind that there's going to be a lot of data going through that Wi-Fi because your phones are seeing it as a Wi-Fi connection and they're going to keep acting normally. They're not going to throttle back. They're not going to go and stop downloading podcasts. They're going to continue operating normally if your phones are connected by Wi-Fi through a hotspot. And that's probably what happened. Yes, because it was a couple of states worth of, of data, there was probably Google Maps data going back and forth as well because Google Maps does update in real time and whatnot and will redirect you if there's a shorter way because of traffic and whatnot. But it did end up uh, working just fine. And on the way back, I found it was about the same amount of data, even though it was a few hours less. So that's why I think that there's probably a lot of Google Maps data that went through there. So when you put Google Maps and set it up on your phone, did you pre-cache any of the maps for the areas you were going? I did not know. Okay. <laughs> I, thought, I was, I I was just, just curious because <laughs> then, then I think you have a legitimate case there to say, yes, Google Maps updating and downloading map data as I moved into new areas based off the GPS location probably counts as part of your data pool there because they have recommended before that if you're going somewhere where you're going to be in a data scarce region or where you're on a data cap, you might want to just pre-cache maps. So yeah, that's quite possible. Now, I mentioned earlier that the calling wasn't that important to me, but one of the best benefits to having a phone that you can do calling with a car that is modern that has voice call calling is ahead of time, I paired that uh, Moto X back to the um, uh, car that we were driving so that we had that there on hands-free and on our way back, we thought, okay, let's give this a try. And we made a phone call. And again, it was almost like normal because my car was just automatically using the Moto X that was connected by Bluetooth. So we were able to just have a conversation normally. Now, obviously I had to take that extra step and pair that ahead of time, but I wanted to mention that because if you are going to go away and try to do this third phone idea or this alternate phone idea, Think about where you're going to want to use that. And I was so glad that I paired that ahead of time because what we didn't have to stop and pull over or have one of us oddly hold it on speaker or whatever. So if you're going to do that, think through where do I want to do this? What devices might I want to pair? Could be a headset. If you have a Bluetooth headset and you think you might want to make a phone call along the way, pair those because there is an inconvenience factor by having not your primary phone be your primary phone while you're away. But some of these things you can overcome. So would I do this again? Yes, I would absolutely do this again because overall, as our trip continued, it was pretty, pretty convenient for us and worked well. 
And rarely did we have issues, at least with the service that we chose. Yes, sometimes the outskirts of town. I did have to get used to firing it up every day as I went out, but it was really not a big deal to do. And while we did use a lot of data that first day and that last day because of travel, we barely used any in the middle because we were often near Wi-Fi and other things as well. And honestly, the idea of just being able to pull out our phones and search something because they were, I, I walked around with that Moto, Moto X, almost said something bad there, that Moto X on. And we just continued using our phones day to day. And the thing that I got super lucky about, and maybe this is just the Moto X, maybe this is an Android versus iPhone difference. I don't know. I walked around a zoo for like four or five hours. And I have to say, the phone was still good by, by the end of the day. I think it was like 20, 30% battery at the end of the day. So it really didn't use too much data. And it allowed us again, just to be able to search something if we wanted. Now, the other thing to keep in mind when you're doing this because of the whole Wi Fi option is that I was also though using data because instead of waiting till I was back home, back home, quote, back to the hotel to upload my photos through Google Photos, as I was taking them and taking videos, they were automatically going up because my Android was seeing it as a Wi-Fi connection, thus using the data to back up. But I really ran into no, no data issues. And if I was to do this again, I would look for the feature that my brother very kindly reminded of me after the trip on Android, which you can apparently go in and set it as a metered connection. So on my phone, I probably would have done that. I don't think you can do that on an iPhone yet. Can you, Chris? I don't know. I've only got an iPad anymore, and I assume it'd probably be the same in settings, but I'm not sure. Have you ever seen that, Michelle, like an option for a metered connection on your Wi-Fi options? Yeah, no, I don't. So then I would definitely do it on the Android side of things and just keep that in mind so that um, when I was using that, Android was restricting it a little bit. And I would 100% recommend if you're going to do this, stick with a dedicated phone or very small device because I had considered using a tablet instead with this. But the thing is, I wouldn't have been able to walk around a retail store or walk around a zoo easily with it in my pocket. I think if you're going to do this, definitely make sure you have a small form factor for that phone that's going to have that foreign SIM card in it or that roaming SIM card or whatever it is, because it was really convenient. I actually thought I, the first day I'm like, oh, I'm going to hate going around with two phones. And I didn't even notice it. I really didn't notice it. And so I think you definitely want to look for the smallest device. And if I was regularly going to the States, now that I've bought my official USA merchandise, I would absolutely invest in an even smaller phone because really you just need that Wi-Fi connection. That's really all it is. You're not really doing anything else. And uh, I will say that I would have preferred to have paid $8 a day, even though it would have been more expensive, but I would have rather have paid $8 a day per line. So I didn't have to worry about any of that. And it would have just been completely status quo. But because that wasn't an option, this worked really, really well. And I have to say, I was very surprised, very, very surprised at how little battery that truly, truly did use when I ended up uh, carrying it around for that day. Uh, I, I really thought that it was going to use a lot more. And so I was very pleasantly surprised, but I really, really, really appreciated Chris's heads up on that because I would have probably not have brought that same charger to have in my car or the inverter. And that could have been a problem with an eight hour trip if it was just getting that 
that smaller power trickle charge from the the uh, the GMC that I was driving. So I really appreciated that heads up, Chris. Thank you very much for that. No problem. Happy to help. In our case, probably what didn't help it is my wife was running uh, Pokemon Go on one phone and Harry Potter Wizards Unite on the other phone with one acting as a hotspot for the other. And those are both location services games. So that probably didn't help the battery much either. But better safe than sorry when it comes to having power for your Wi-Fi hotspot when you're dependent on that. And side note, Suncast did confirm in the chat room. iOS has no metered connection feature. Okay, well, I appreciate that. And oh, by the way, um, one of the things I kind of forgot probably would be downloading was my podcast. So I'm sure that those there's probably at least one that was released while I was driving. So that would have been 60, 70 megs right sorry. there. <laughs> I'm sorry I put out 320 kilobit podcasts, even. <laughs> yeah, I, I was really, I have to say, really doubtful of what I, my plan was going to be. And I was I was glad it worked out in the end and I would totally 100 percent do it again. I was fortunate enough that I had that Moto X. Have you ever done anything other, anything like this, uh, other than um, in country, like anything foreign? Have you ever done anything like that? I haven't been traveling with a smartphone foreign, but my plan right now, if that were to happen, is I've kind of been kicking around getting off of AT&T and then going to Google Fi. I would just port my number over Google Fi and do it that way because they have roaming agreements with pretty much any country I'm going to go to where I would still basically keep my 4G data and my voice service with no additional charge. So that's my backup plan, but I'm not sure that Google Fi is available in Canada for that to have been an option for you to do, Stephen. No. So that's the thing is uh, people who have Google Fi can use it in Canada, but Canadians cannot get Google Fi. So (laughs) That's what I thought. I wasn't 100% sure, though. How about Michelle? Michelle, you ever done anything with roaming? No, I haven't been out of the country in over 10 years, so nope. Well, if you have any thoughts on any of this or you say, Stephen, you did it wrong, please let us know through any of the ways. You can get in touch with us by going to gunnageek.com. You can tweet me at Stephen John Drew. You can tweet us at, at gunnageek or head over to our Discord server at gunnageek.com slash Discord. We'd love to see you over there. Before we go, Michelle, thank you very much for coming on here. And I want to take a moment for you to plug and promote where people can find you elsewhere on the Podsphere and any other projects that you're working on. Sure. I am a co-host on the Starlight Tribune. Right now we're going over Legends of Tomorrow in the offseason for Arrow. I'm also a co-host well, an agent on Le- Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., where we're talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., because it's actually airing. That's wonderful. Uh, every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern time on the Welcome to the Party Twitch channel, I am part of a streaming game called Rifts. It is sci-fi, fantasy, cyberpunk. It's, it's wacky. It's great. And we're having a very good time. Well, thank you again for coming on. I really, really do appreciate that. Chris Farrell, do you have anything that you want to plug or promote? Just a friendly reminder, there's a lot of live content that streams over on GoToGeek.com. You can find it over on Geeks.Live. If you are watching this channel live right now, scroll down the page a little bit. You'll see a calendar of live events. And hey, come check out some other live content. Let them know that we sent you. Well, on that note, for episode 296 of the official geek.com show. I'm Stephen John Drew saying Merka. 
I just want to know where his American Budweiser's are. Please, he he needed to do an IPA. Bye. By the way, my backdrop looks a little pink where the blue and the red are meeting, so I swear, I know that it's red, white, and blue. I swear that. I do know that. If you want to see this, it's goodageek.com. Thanks for checking out another episode of the official gunageek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.